What a truly amazing way we get to enter a new year. With that truth having been sung from our hearts, that Christ has saved us, he has removed our sin, we are hidden, our lives are hidden in Christ. Uh, It is a tremendous truth, an amazing liberty in our lives because of what Christ has done for us. And uh, it gives us a a lift in our lives to be going into a new year to know that, that Jesus Christ died for us, that he loves us, that he lives for us, that he has forgiven us of all of our sins, past, present, and future, every sin we will ever commit, Christ has already forgiven us for and has paid for it, paid the debt of our sins on the cross of Calvary. And that's the truth that we want to uh, build on uh, this morning that has set us free. And in fact, not only has Christ done that for us, but we've learned this past year as we've studied through the book of Galatians that, that he has given us his Holy Spirit to live within our lives, to champion the cause of God from the inside out, that we might live in full and fresh ways for Christ in this year. And so I want to, um, in the next couple of weeks, establish with you a, a practical agenda that I think God has for us that comes at the end of the book of Galatians in light of the fact that the Spirit of God is dwelling in our lives, that we are a Spirit-led community, Spirit-filled people, that we are a Spirit-dependent church. Uh, what does the Lord Jesus Christ have for us in 2013? How can we put all of the good teaching that God has given to us from the book of Galatians about walking in the Spirit and having the fruit of the Spirit pop out of our lives, um, how can we put that to practical work in the business of doing church well? Uh, what, would it be, what would it be like to be a world-class spiritual community? That's what God has for us in, in the year 2013. 2012 has been truly a spiritually spectacular year. I think all of us will agree that God has been so at work among us, growing us, strengthening those who are already His. He's brought people into an awareness of Christ. People have, have, have become saved and following Jesus Christ. God has resourced us and blessed us and given us opportunities and open doors. And, and I have no reason to believe that God is going to withdraw any of his energy from us in in the year 2013. I believe that God is going to strengthen the work and increase the work and increase our resources and accomplish greater things and spread the the ministry of Calvary uh, beyond what we ever could dream or imagine. Uh, Because uh, I, I do agree with William Carey. We should attempt great things for God because we should expect great things from God. He's a great, great God. A powerful God. We haven't even begun to plumb the depths of the greatness and power of our great God. And I think about what Jesus Christ did with 12 followers, 12 committed and dedicated disciples who spread the gospel throughout the world. Imagine what God can do with a thousand people here in this region and throughout the world. And so he has some really important things for us about what it would be like to be a true Christ-dependent work. And that's what I want to, uh, to uh, challenge you with in the next couple of weeks. And I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6. By the way, uh, a world-class spiritual community is, um, becomes obvious by how we treat 
people within the church and without the church. In particular, what we're going to discover in, the, in the, the, the last chapter of Galatians over the next couple of weeks is, is that people who are truly spirit-filled in a spirit-filled church knows how to manage and handle the spiritual treasures that God will give us well. A, a spirit-filled community knows how to deal with those who've fallen into sin well. A, a spiritual community knows how to treat those who instruct you in the truths of God well. A, a spirit-filled community knows how to treat each other well. A, a spirit-filled community knows how to treat all people well. That's what we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks. And um, I, I think we'd, we'd entitle the whole part of it, So What of Being Spiritual? People out here and out there, they don't so much want to know what we say we believe. They want to see how we live what we believe. And so in Galatians chapter 6, and actually I want to start at the very last verse of chapter 5 today because I want to talk about the absolute essentials of being a spirit-led church. How does the big free community live? And... um, I really think it begins in verse 25 of, uh, of uh, Galatians chapter 5 and then moves into chapter 6. Now, just by way of review, the enemy of all things spiritual and Christ-honoring is self-reliance. Okay? I, I want to set that as the backdrop because we've had some turkey and some ham and a little bit of a Christmas break and... And uh, you may have forgotten what we were talking about before the Christmas season. But if I could summarize Galatians 1 through 5, and if you could lock and load this in your heart and your life, the enemy to all things spiritual and all things Christ-honoring is self-reliance. Because quick on the heels of self-reliance is always the enemy of all things, which is pride. God wants to see the self thing moved out of our lives in every possible way, that we might be the people who trust and depend upon God fully. That's ultimately what the Spirit-led people are, the the community that is filled with the, the presence of God. It's a community that trusts wholly and fully and completely and dependently on God alone, on Christ alone. And so... Know this, that the, 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 the sermon, the great extended sermon that the Apostle Paul was given to the Galatians is, self-reliance is killing you. It always killed you. It always will kill you. It will always lead you to sin. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to trust wholly on Christ Jesus alone. So that's the review and the backdrop of the five chapters before us. And then he says this in 25, chapter 5. Since... We've got rid of all of that self-reliance, or at least we understand that's what God wants us to do. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
Each one should test his own actions. Then he will take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. This is the word of God to us. Our Father, I pray this morning as we pause now to hear what your heart has for us as we turn into this new year. Lord, what are your instructions for us? What is your desire for us as your church? Lord, we want to know your, your will for us from your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would um, open up our hearts to receive and respond well to what you have for us and to lock it into our lives as the practical outflowing of how you want us to live as those who follow hard after you, as those who are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, led by God's Spirit, a, a, a Spirit-filled community of faith, Lord. Well, that's what we want to be, and I pray this morning that you will show us the practical uh, realities of that, uh, that we might um, commit ourselves and commune ourselves with you and dedicate ourselves to the fullness of what you have for us this year. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I find it an interesting juxtaposition that um, the Apostle Paul says, since you are filled with the Spirit, don't become conceited, provocative, or envious. I, I, at first when I looked at that, I thought, that's, a, that's an odd thing to say right on the heels of that. Since you are people who are filled with the Spirit, don't be conceited. Don't be provocative to each other. Don't be envious of one another. And I thought, why, why would he say that right away? I mean, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit of God, if you're enjoying the presence and power of God, if you're dedicating yourself to the Lord and following hard after Him... Why in the world would we need to be warned not to be conceited and provocative and envious? And I, I thought a lot about that, and I realized when a church fellowship is enjoying the power and presence of the work of God in profound ways like we are, seeing God at work, seeing the... Uh, the uh, resources of God uh, being poured out upon us, seeing the influence and impact of God spreading, seeing the, uh, the power and impact of God working in individual lives, growing us to love Him more and love one another more and be more Spirit-filled and the fruit of the Spirit popping out of our lives. When that starts to happen, there is always the distinct possibilities that we might start to believe that all of this all of the great stuff that's happening has something to do with us. Has something to do with how intelligent we are, how talented we are, how opportunistic we are, how um, strategic we are and tactical we are. And we start to become conceited. And we start to say, look at our church. Look at how great things are around here. And we start to look around our community. And we start to look at other churches. And we look at other Christians. And we start to say, wow, it's not really happening for you, is it? Like it's happening for us. Or internally, we start to see the work of God really making impact and inroads in individual lives. And we see our friends uh, uh, growing in Christ in ways that we haven't seen before. And maybe we've become a little bit sloppy in our own lives and it's not happening for us. And so we start to become provocative to each other. We start to chirp away at each other. We start to become envious 
of what we see God doing in other people's lives that he doesn't seem to be doing in our life, which isn't because of God. It's always because of us. But we start to gripe and chirp and do nasty things. So can I say to you in terms of four community affirmations for us this year, the first one I think is this. We need to agree that conceit and envy will ruin our community. We can't start to think that anything that's happening around here has anything to do with our greatness. It's all about the greatness and the power of God. It is directly related to how much we are dependent upon God and trusting in Him. There are few things more damaging to church unity than spiritual pride on the one hand or resentment over spiritual progress on the other. Now, the evidence of spiritual pride in your life can become very obvious. And by the way, this word conceit means empty glory, means vain glory. It means, um, hey, I'm really pleased with how things are happening in my life, and I'm starting to take credit for all the great things that God is really doing. And it's totally empty glory because none of this, none of anything that's happening around here has anything to do with our savvy or our greatness or our power or our strategies. And so any credit that we take is totally empty glory. It's nothing. All the glory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so conceit is literally, in its original word, vain glory. And it looks horrible. It's that spiritual pride thing uh, where somehow you, you have assessed yourself and you think that somehow, look at me and look at other people. They're not as spiritual as I am. They aren't growing as fast as I am. I have such an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish everybody would have what I have. And certainly nobody else seems to have what I'm having. Spiritual success is risky because suddenly you feel successful. So you can become arrogant over spiritual progress that's made in your life, or you can start to act beyond what you really are. Everybody else seems to be growing in Christ, so I better pretend that I am. Or, and you start to talk overly spiritual when you come to church, but everybody knows that's not really the way you are. You've heard the phrase, so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You talk down to your brothers and sisters from the lofty spiritual vantage point that God has taken you to? Beware of this. Be careful. When God is at work in your life, be very careful that you don't become conceited. The other side of that is this provocative envious because God's power and presence seems to have bypassed you. But it's always because of your own spiritual neglect. You're not praying, you're not into the word of God, you're not attending worship regularly, you're not fellowshipping with one another, iron's not sharpening iron. It's always about the choices you are making. And so uh, when there's a mixture in any church of flesh and spirit, it doesn't mix well. And there'll be people who will be constantly on each other's case. That's what provocative is. Others will be resenting fruitful progress of another. That started at the very beginning of time. The very first 
and most horrible sin that took place after Adam and Eve was their sons. It was when Cain became resentful of the spiritual progress in his brother's life. It was when he became resentful that Abel's worship was received by the Lord. And his wasn't. Because his heart wasn't right with God. And in any given community of faith, there is an ever-present danger that you have let your own life slip. And while everybody else is catching fire with God, you become resentful of where God is taking them. I want to be in those lofty heights, but you don't want the commitment that comes with it. Cain didn't want to love the Lord, his God, with all of his heart like his brother did. He wanted to be received by God with a cheap grace. And so he killed his brother. That's where resentment will take you. So it's not surprising that the juxtaposition of since you are uh, living uh, in the Spirit, since you are walking in the Spirit, since you are filled with the Spirit, beware lest you become conceited, provocative, and envious. Then he moves on to the uh, second affirmation. Rather than be conceited and competitive and aloof and provocative and envious, he says, if someone is caught in a sin, you, are spirit, who, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. We secondly, as a church family this year, need in light of the practical outworkings of God filling us with his presence, to commit to each other to live by the Christ law of caring and restoring. It's the opposite of being conceited and envious. We, um, we need to believe here at uh, Calvary Baptist Church that people in church sin. I'm not telling you something you don't know, am I? It always seems to come as a shock to people outside of the church that Christians sin. What I thought, I thought you were perfect now. No, we are viewed by God as perfect in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. But it says in the word of God, anybody who says they have no sin is what? A liar. The truth is not in them. But one of the things we do very poorly in most churches is help people who've fallen into sin. In fact, um, not only do we have a problem helping people who've fallen into sin, but people who've fallen into sin have trouble believing that the church will help them. If there's one thing that I desperately desire for us as a church family... It is that we could get this right. Is that we could do this. That we could specialize. In fact, I I gave the title of the sermon on the basis of this section alone. That we would be a soul mechanic station. Now, I suspect just about every one of you in here has a car. Or if you don't, you're involved with a car somehow. When it falls into disrepair, what do you do? Do you just chuck it to the side? Do you pretend that it has fall, hasn't fallen into disrepair? I know I do that for a while anyway. 
until it falls so badly into disrepair that it stops and it can't work anymore. And then we have to come to the realization that something has to be done. My car has fallen and it can't get up. I want to express to you that one of the things that I truly believe about sin in church is this, that church people sin, and sin left to ferment causes great damage for an unnecessarily long time. We have not done a good job of this as a history, not just our church, but church in general. We have discarded our wounded and our hurt and our damaged. We've buried them. We've tried to hide them. We've tried to hide our own sins. We pretend that we don't sin. It's killing us. By the way, sin doesn't only make you feel bad. It makes you feel dead. That's what sin is. We were dead in our trespasses. We weren't just feeling bad in our trespasses and sins. We weren't just feeling uh, um, a lack of joy in our trespasses and sins, although we were We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we regard sin in our lives and when nobody steps in to rescue us and help us, we revert back to dead. Not theologically, okay? Understand this. Because once you have come to know Christ, once you have been saved, once you've been brought into his family, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. But the multitudes of believers who don't embrace what Christ has done on the cross for you to receive your forgiveness and to to be picked up and put back in the game and, and move forward and grow again in Christ. That's the call of the church. I feel sorry for my PowerPoint person today, Janet. I, I'm just freewheeling here this morning and I'm I'm apologizing. I just, I, I just, God is just, uh, I think, I'm just trying to go with what he's wanting me to say. So, the truly God-reliant spiritual people put broken people back together. That's who we are. That's what we do. I, I take my car to the, uh, ultimately I take my car down to John Prinzen there down the street. He, he didn't pay me to say this. He's just a good guy and does a great job. And, and I just take my car down there and I, and I do whatever it takes to get it fixed and back in. I don't deny, I'm not wandering around saying to him, go to, go to him, and I, I come to the garage, and I'm like, well, there's really nothing wrong with my car, it's fine, I'm just here, and he's like, and, and then he finds out something's wrong with it, and he starts yelling at me, you're, what are you, crazy, you know, no, he doesn't do that, it's like, this is what you should do, car's broken, come and see me, I can fix it, put that car back on the road. That's what we're to do as God's people. It says here clearly three things. Brokenness, brokenness is not to be the ongoing state of those who belong to Christ. Are you hearing me? Brokenness is not what Jesus has for you. You may become broken and damaged the joy of your faith is put in the dumpster. Your life is broken down. But that's not what God has for you. And so the, the spiritual, it says, 
brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, the ones who are following hard after Christ, the ones who are fully committing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God, you intentionally go on missions of mercy within your church family, not with arrogance, not with pride, but with the presence and power and blessing and commitment of God. Go looking for those who are hurting because of sin. And the reason it has to be the spiritual is because it says in the text, you might also fall into temptation. Now, I, most people have, have embraced the idea that this temptation is to be tempted to their sin or what they're sinning. Maybe that's possible. But I, why would he in one hand say, you who are spiritual, you who are really experiencing the victory of God in your life, Go and do this mission, but by the way, I'm really nervous about you doing this mission because you might fall too. I think more it's, it's the danger of all of us of falling back into patterns of self-reliance. Of believing that we should help people with, with fleshly disciplines or physical strategies. None of those will be long-lasting or work, work in, in the work that's required here. What we're talking about here is a spiritual battle. What we're talking about here is spiritual fallenness. What we're talking about here is spiritual restoration. It has to be by those who are fully trusting in God and won't waver from that. There's a temptation and a tendency of substituting pop psychology for the words and will of God in this whole restoration process. Strategies of the flesh. These are the things that he's concerned about people being tempted to do. Relying on physical disciplines and strategies over reliance totally on Christ and his transforming power will fail and not produce lasting results. Regularly, we are relegating the precepts of God to principles when they're supposed to remain precepts. We take a principle like the, the overriding theological principle like God is love. That does not override the precepts of you must not when the scriptures teach you those kinds of things. Because God is love doesn't mean he overlooks sin in our lives or the need to commit ourselves to the... To, or, 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 um, respond to sin and, and acknowledge sin in our lives. And so what are the spiritual to do? It says here you're to restore, carry each other's burdens, and this way fulfill the law of Christ. Restore him gently. This word restore is to fix a broken net, to bring it back to its intended usefulness. Beloved, if any of you have sinned, and have struggled with shame and guilt that goes along with that, over an extended period of time, you will know that it creates a gigantic gap, gaping hole in the net of your life. And the intention of God's spiritual people in a spiritual community is to come alongside those who are wounded and hurting because they have failed the Lord. Because they have fallen. And to grab hold of them and say, let me help you restore your life to its intended excellent purpose for God. And I'm going to mend that net with you. 
And how do you do that? You go to the person and you, you, you grab hold of them and say, look, it's sin must be tried. Sin must be found guilty in your life. Sin must be repented of. You've got to turn from this. And you've got to accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The only way to fix that gigantic hole in your heart that is hurting you and damaging you from moving forward with God is that you've got to come to the place where you admit the sin is sin, and and many people have already done that. It was tried and found guilty at the cross of Calvary. You know that. And many have repented of it. They've come to the Lord and, and with broken, contrite heart, asked for his forgiveness. But few people seem to be able to move on from there that God has truly forgiven. And the guilt and shame continues to be worn on them like a coat and a mantle every single day of their lives. I still bear the guilt and the shame of the sin that I've committed against Christ. Christ died on the cross so that you could give over your guilt and your shame to him. Some of us say, well, I haven't forgiven myself. Listen, there is nowhere in the scriptures, not a single place in the scriptures, where it commands you to forgive yourself. You can't forgive yourself. Only Christ can forgive you. And Christ, when he went to the cross and died at Calvary for your sins, has forgiven you. That's why John wrote in his epistle, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. From all of our unrighteousness, we are clean, set free, back in the game. That's what God has for us. And it must be done gently. In the spirit of humility. Recognizing that we all have capacities to fail the Lord. Every single one of us. And you know what Paul says? When you do this as a church family, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Listen, for all you legalists out there this morning who say, Rick, you got to give me a law to live by because I can't live without a law. I'm giving you one this morning. This is the law. The law of Christ. To so love the Lord your God, to so love your neighbor as yourself, That you will bear the burdens of one another. That you will, in fact, I think I may have written this out in a slide. I may not be freewheeling now. It is the law of Christ to love the Lord so much that you will love your neighbor by taking the love, the mercy, the grace, and forgiveness of God you have received and give it away to your broken brother and sister. And guilt and shame must go so spiritual fullness has room to grow forgiven people. Listen, Satan wants... You to carry around the load and weight of guilt and shame. That's the burden that we're talking about here. Satan wants you to carry around. That's why Jesus went to the Pharisees and he said, You whitewashed sepulchers, you brood of vipers. You make up these heavy, weighty, burdensome restrictions on people. And you lay it on them. And then you won't lift a finger To help them carry the load. It's the exact opposite of that. 
What did Jesus say? Come and follow me. My yoke is easy. And my burden on you is what? Light. Listen. A church that puts heavies and guilt and shame on people is an anti-Jesus church. Jesus is in the business of lifting up and restoring people and putting them back in the game of freedom in Christ to serve him. We want to have communion, so I want to... um, I, I think I want to leave it there this morning. I think that's enough. I think that's the right place to stop. I think that'll put us in the right place to celebrate communing with the Lord this morning, dedicating our hearts afresh to him, to be the kind of church that takes in all of the blessings that God has given to us. But never once will we take credit for anything that God has done for us. Let us not become conceited. Let us not become provocative or envious of one another. But let us all grow in Christ, filled with the Spirit of God. And let us be on a search mission to help and to lift up and to restore and to bring back to usefulness those who fall into sin. Because Jesus Christ died on a cross. His cross work was that he might forgive us. So let's be a repenting community. A community that loves one another. Let's live by the law of Christ. And let's dedicate ourselves to it right now at the table of the Lord. That we will be a law of Christ people. Loving the Lord with all of our hearts. Loving one another. Loving our neighbors as ourselves. Restoring the fallen. Let's make that a practical purpose of 2013 in ways we've never, ever experienced before. Can I encourage those of you who are struggling with a sin to risk us as a family to help you? And can I tell you that if you're on top of the game with the Lord Jesus Christ, take every advantage of the benefit that Christ has given to help people, not to hurt people. Our job isn't to make people feel bad. It's to help people feel whole. That's what we're about. Our Father and our God, I pray now as we transition to dedicating ourselves around the table of the Lord, remembering why you died for us, that you died for us, and what it should mean practically in this church. I pray, Father, we give ourselves fresh to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to truly benefit from all that Christ has done for us. He gave his life that we might have a fullness of life. And when we fall, he'll pick us up. And the church, his church, will pick the church up and make us useful again to the things of God. Oh God, chase away the guilt and shame that Christ himself died that we might unburden ourselves from. As we repent, as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to make us freshly white and clean before him. Oh God, thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.
Church, in 2013, let's not become conceited or envious. Because if we do, we will empty the church of glory. It is Christ alone who makes great things happen. To him alone belongs all the praise and glory and honor in what he will do in 2013 to a people who trust him with all of their hearts. And church, we are to be a healing and helping community, lifting up the hurting. If we aren't, we aren't fulfilling the law of Christ. And we must. This is Christ's church. He establishes the law for us. The law of Christ is that we would love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and love our, love our neighbor as ourselves. And that this would be a place where people who fall feel safe to be restored gently by those who love the Lord and love them. If this happens, God will pour out his blessings upon us and advance his cause and expand his influence and impact in the year 2013, which is the desire of our hearts. So let's make sure that we are benefiting, seizing the benefits of Christ's cross work. Be forgiven. Let's make sure that we are actively engaged in the filling of the Spirit. Trust Him. Walk in the Spirit. And let's actively engage in the word of God, enriching our lives with his word and his will. And if we do, Christ will be formed in us. Our Father, we offer this to you as our prayer and our desire, desire of our hearts. Only as you, by your spirit, by your power, enact this in our lives, will it be so. And so I pray, Father, this morning that you would bless your word to us. Bless your desires in our lives that we may fulfill the law of Christ, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.